Is that camera work? You're listening to the Simple Table Podcast, where we dive into complex, real, and relevant topics. Hey, welcome to the Simple Table. Today we're going to be talking about individualism. So, what is individualism? Individualism is actually something new to me because, um, so you told me to start looking at individual versus collective a week ago. And um, I started Googling it and I found all this stuff about individualism versus collectivism. Hmm. And I feel somewhat ignorant because I did not know that these were cultural philosophies. But it's ways in which entire cultures operate. Hmm. So individualistic countries, which is obvious now, I just didn't realize they were actual terms that they've been around for a long time. But America is an individualistic country, clearly, where it's all about looking out for number one, me, I, like what's best for me, um, and the group is secondary to the individual. Whereas in collectivist cultures, you put the group, it takes precedence over any one human being. And so people have to sacrifice things at the cost of what's best for the group. Hmm. Whereas for us, it's like, whatever's best for me is what I get, what I should do. It's what's right. It's what's fair. And so my thoughts have been, how has an individualistic culture kept us from operating fully in our identity and who we are and who God has called us to be? And then what community is meant to look like? Because if you've got an individualistic mindset that's to an extreme, incredibly selfish Mm. and dehumanizes other people because if they don't serve my purpose, they're less than. And so how would that keep us from understanding what family within the church, or even just community within, without of the church, but what it's meant to look like through the lens of Jesus? So let me ask you this. Was, uh, it, it would appear as though like the, the birthing of America probably was not founded on an individualistic mindset. I don't know that it was, but when the Declaration of Independence happened that's when it was the first like we're giving we're making individual rights super important so i'm more thinking in terms of like when the uh pilgrims came over um in search for religious freedom they were they were escaping you know uh kind of more of a a tyrannistic government Mm -hmm. and so my my thoughts were that they they came over with the idea um, that we as a collective group are seeking for uh, freedom in our religious expression and we're doing this as a community. They went through hard times. Uh, I don't need to do any history on that because I'm not a history buff. But right, some of the things that they experienced created a bond together, mm-hmm. where the individualistic thing probably in my mind was not their highest value. So that's why I'm wondering where was the shift for. United States to become more individualistic minded rather than being collective where they had to, you know, you're exploring new territories, you're, you're living outside of what was common in your culture. And, um, and in requiring that there's, there's this need for connection to, to move forward rather than being so, you know, I'm going to go out and conquer the world myself. So that's, that's why I asked that and how that kind of plays into the gospel picture that we have or the church picture that we have um here in america 
Does that make sense? I think so, but I don't have an answer. Oh, yeah. That's okay. I mean, it's, I think when you, and, and it may have been, I don't know if it's in the Industrial Revolution or at some point when you were able to separate services rendered or, or even like, you know, you go and buy a gallon of milk now, you don't really think of who is the person that provided this. Mm -hmm. It's just, I'm going to pick up milk. As opposed to, you know, when this country was founded, it was based upon everybody helping each other out because in order to survive, we've got to have hunters, we've got to have gatherers, we've got to have right. these people doing this yeah. stuff. And it was smaller communities as well. Sure. Yeah. yeah. The longer the larger the population grows and the more disconnected we become, the more individualistic we become. Because mm. it's easier to just focus on ourselves than yeah. Anybody else around us? Yeah. So tell us more about what you've discovered in this process. Well, mm, I haven't discovered a lot. I've started asking a lot of questions. Oh, that's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> what it started me wondering because I feel like I feel like in our culture today, right now, yeah, there's you hear all these phrases like "listen to your heart," "give yourself a voice," "what feeds your soul," like stuff even within the church that's all about empowering you to make sure you're only taking care of you hmm. and and so what i find myself wondering is where is the balance in the line between self-care and selfishness and where does then my needs versus the needs of others where are the lines between that and so how does healthy community look if my main focus is taking care of me hmm. um when is it wisdom or when is it not wisdom to meet the needs of other people, but what about when it's at my expense? Who's gonna take care of me? That's one of our driving fears in America. If I don't do it, who's gonna take care of me? And I don't feel like it's a blatant thing that we're ever taught, but it's a common underlying belief system, like I have to. Hmm. Yeah. So what kind of questions? <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's, there's, Pluses and minuses to to both kinds of culture. It's when they're taken to the extremes sure. that it becomes that selfishness and or you're just emptying yourself out completely to where your health deteriorates because you're not taking care of yourself. Um, I think everything has to be looked at in the way of relationship um, and and having great communication I think helps find those places of what's too far and what's I don't know what I'm saying right now it's okay <laughs> what would you say is your definition of unconditional love wow that's tricky um, I think I've been personally challenged even just this last week um, with experiencing requests and um, even expectation from people and relationships that have a tendency to kind of disappear and then come back and want or need. Um, and so, you know, I know we'll at some point maybe discuss the whole Enneagram thing, but I'm processing through my Enneagram number, I think is a two, and that is the helper. 
and it thrives on being accepted and loved. And so for me, that question becomes um, really, it becomes, it becomes really uh, tainted with this idea of an unconditional love requires me to give everything of myself because that's, um, that's what I actually like. So realizing this negative aspect of the, the helper is that will drive me to be accepted when I unconditionally love. I don't think that that's true in the way that God sees unconditional love. And so that's why I say it's, it's a little tainted for me because I realize if someone comes back after, you know, being rude or, you know, just completely bails on relationship and then desires or wants something back, I have this grid work, this mind mindset, this frame of, of reference of saying like, okay, what does God do? How do I look at scripture? What are examples of people running away and then coming back? You've got the whole Hosea and Gomer situation in the Old Testament, and then you have the situation of the prodigal son who comes back. And, um, and so I look at those situations and I say, well, unconditional love would look like just taking them back and giving them more. And if I'm honest, like it begins to hurt to where you find yourself going like, is this really unconditional love? Because I'm not loving them as I love myself. Because right now, <laughs> I feel like I don't even love myself or my family because I continue to give to people who are taking advantage of me. But does God get taken advantage of? So that's, that's a tough question for me. Thoughts? Unconditional love? Um, it's, it's interesting because nothing against my friends who are single, but I don't think I understood what unconditional love was until I became a parent. Mm. Um, and even in that, it wasn't so much just unconditional love for my kids, but you realize that you actually have to love your spouse first and like discover new levels of love and um i think it has a lot to do with knowing what what somebody needs or, or for me communication is a big part of it because i can't find out what somebody needs or i can't talk through something with somebody and actually love them well unless i'm actually in conversation with them and talking with them um and, you know, sitting down with somebody and being face to face and having a conversation, I feel like that opens up new levels of love and new understanding. And it's so like, I love my kids no matter what they do. Hmm. And I love my wife no matter what she does. And I hope she does that with me as well. Um, but it's. You, you can't really get there if the communication isn't there. Mm -hmm. Like we can tell ourselves and it's, for me, it's almost like it's a mindset that when you enter into parenthood and you enter into marriage, that you've got to have unconditional love. And this is part of it. And, you know, you, you can, you can have the mindset of this is what it's supposed to be, but not actually walk that out. Because uh, you don't know how if you're not communicating well. Hmm. Um, so for me, in order for for me to actually show love to somebody, um, 
I've got to, I've got to have conversation and go deeper with them and, and hear brutal honesty at times, like, and not be so quick to get offended. It's really easy to, you know, what, want what you want, especially like with little kids, they are going to do things that are going to drive you nuts. You both know that. Um, but not flying off the hinge and beating them with a stick or yelling at them. And like, you have to sit, you, it's almost like stepping back and going, all right, I want to show love to my kids. I want to be the best father that I can be. And is what I am doing in this situation actually helping them grow? Is it giving them what they need? And is, or is this just screwing them up? Hmm. Um, and you can take past experiences and look at that and go, yeah, that didn't work out too well for me when this happened. Hmm. So why would I want to do it to my kids if I love them? And so it's unconditional love being, you know, the, the definition is there's, there's no conditions to it. You don't have to give me anything in order for me to love you. And of course it's that way with your kids. Um, but until you actually start questioning how you are treating someone, I don't think you can actually start walking that out because we do expect things from our kids. Now the mindset would be, yeah, she's five years old. She can't go get a job. Mm -hmm. I'm not expecting her to pay for things, but then when something happens, like a child breaks something and you get upset with them because, oh, this is taking money. And it's just like, there are ways to deal with it other than anger and everything else that's going to, it's like, would you, like, like, you just, you have to step back and go, if I really love this person and I'm trying to show that to them, I'm trying to live this out, not just as a facade, not just as a, because this needs to, you know, I believe this, so therefore I got to act like it. There's got to be a, a change in your heart. And the only way for me, at least, that that's happened is by stepping back and questioning, who do I actually want to be? Do I actually love my kids this much? And how do I want to treat them? How do I want to treat my wife? Is this healthy? Is this showing love? And if it isn't, then what do I need to do about it? For me, that would be unconditional love is it's, it's looking at who are the people around you that you say you love, that you love unconditionally, and then question, how are you operating? How are you walking out who you were created to be around them and then calling that out in them as well and loving them well? Does that make sense? Yeah. So then I have a question that kind of fits with both of what you guys said is you both somewhat tied it back to then who you are. Like, am I being who I was created to be or how to, even your Enneagram? So I'm like, okay, so do I have to unconditionally love myself first in order to unconditionally love other people? Hmm. Is there something that's related to who I am and how I view myself that will cause me to either be able to love people well or not? And then, so what do I need to do to make sure I'm believing my identity or know who I am or walking in health and then is that self-focus, where's the line of when is that healthy and okay? Or do we need that first? Like, do we need to focus on ourselves first before we can love people? 
well. I think... Is that the way it's meant to be? Yeah. Just I think you have to know, first of all, what unconditional love is towards yourself, that what your relationship is with God. At least I've personally seen that if you don't understand that God loves you unconditionally, that he's created you to be a certain person, he's calling that out, and it's not judgment, it's not scorn, it's not all of these things, you're not going to be able to provide that mm -hmm. to anyone else. At least not without striving and failing miserably and it feeling fake. I mean, I've, I've seen that so many times of, it's like, especially in the church, we got to love everybody and it's never, well, not never, but a lot of times it's just not real. It's the fake face. I'm going to act nice to you. And as long as we don't disagree, brother, you're okay with me, you know? But as soon as I start talking about something that makes you go, huh, I don't agree with that. And you pull away from the conversation, then it's like, okay, where, where's the love in, in that? Because if you can pull away from a conversation and say, nope, and take off, it's not really unconditional love. So I think, I think getting back, that was a rabbit trail. Um, I think it is important for us to, to at least start experiencing what unconditional love is from the father's perspective, from Jesus' perspective towards us and where we sit and knowing that we're in the middle of the Trinity, we're in the middle of love and that is in us. And because of that, we can actually love others because you were first love. You can. And so that's where I'm like, I don't disagree, but it's where it's just started me to question. So we kind of do have this like, okay, self first. Is that because it's the way it was designed to be? Or is that because of our culture and that's our context? Mm -hmm. And that, and that is our mindset. Mm -hmm. Like I probably can't do it until I get this first. Is that, true or would that not be how we believe about it would we be able to love other people better without feeling like i need to make sure i'm healthy if we lived in some other culture and what do you think i don't know and so then i think about jesus he didn't have the whole hurdle of having to make sure he was healthy first he didn't have that part like he was because already why? healthy because he's perfect okay and so yeah if we're brought into him and we're made one with him then do we have to do you see what But he what did still pull away. He did. And he spend knew how to, time with the Father. He knew how to rest. He knew yeah. how to do self-care. But I don't think that... Do you think that if he hadn't pulled away, if he hadn't spent time with the Father, that he would have remained perfect? I don't know. I think probably. But I don't know if that was just a model or if that was just a personal choice of this is how I want to spend my time. It's heretic time. <laughs> or so, did he know that... This is what life is supposed to be like. I, that I, there is communion with the Father constantly, but you have a difference between going through, walking through life and going on date night. Right. I, I think that's... So, getting all theological for just a moment, how can Jesus actually um, defeat the devil in the 40 days in the wilderness if he is not tempted, if he's, if he's not actually put in a position to experience the temptation and has the ability or choice 
to choose wrong. I think that I think that that's what's difficult for many Christians when we look at Jesus. We oftentimes elevate his divinity rather than seeing the divinity and humanity are equal. Yep. And so when we look at a person like Jesus, a person like Jesus, and begin to put him on a pedestal that's higher than says, well, because he was divine, he couldn't have done wrong. It's not, for, for me, it doesn't show, this is an example of what it looks like to live out this relationship where the divine and humanity are, are one. Because it's just easy for him. So I think that, I think that he was healthy, but I think he continued to cultivate that. Again, uh, this is this is where theology and doctrine have had so much of a, well, you have to believe this rather than question and challenge these things. If you don't question and challenge them, you can't be invited into the conversation. You're just told this is what you believe, and then that's where guilt and shame and condemnation come in because I don't look like that. So I think that... I think that I'll use the example of when he feeds the 5,000 and he sends the disciples away and he says, I'll take care of basically sending out the, sending the 5,000 home. This is after John the Baptist, his cousin, uh, the one who sent him into ministry per se, um, has, has been beheaded and he and the disciples are going away and a crowd shows up. Like it's, it's not, I was going to bring up, well, it's, he, it's like, it's going to go away. Yeah. But he has so much compassion that he, he's not like, no, I, I can't, I need, I need to be emotionally. He has so much compassion, right. he does it anyway. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what's interesting because, like, there was, there was something about that moment. I don't, I don't know that thousands and thousands were following Jesus on a regular basis. The way that we read the Gospels, it can appear that way because you do experience these times of feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000. But there are, there are times and seasons where he was experiencing large crowds and large masses. Um, there were also times where he was trying to push away the, the, the crowd. I don't, like in our culture, especially in America, where everything is about being big, like I was up super late last night, early this morning, and for some reason I, I found myself just looking at Instagram and certain individuals and seeing how many followers they have. And that is a huge deal in our culture of like, how many followers do you have? So there's that guy, Zion Williams, who's a, a Williamson. He plays for Duke. He's a freshman, 18 years old. He has two point some million followers, 18 years old. And, and we're thinking like, this is big. This Just is good. a little good. less than me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that's the, the lens through which we, we place, well, this is what Jesus must have been like because everyone was surrounding him all the time. I don't know that that's completely accurate or true. Like, how did he facilitate and foster this ability to remain healthy, to, to live out the longevity of his life here on earth in a way that showed what true humanity uh, married with the divine looks like? And I don't think that it's possible to experience the masses and the the much and the needed for um, like the superpower kind of ego that America places on success, I don't think that that's possible to do without being able to know how to to live in, in rest and live in somewhat of self care. Um, 
because it, it requires so much of your time to maintain that, that status of the superpower. Mm-hmm. So I, I, think that, I think that when looking at the scriptures, we have to be aware of the way in which we interpret based on our current culture, you know? So, yeah, I, would he have been able to remain perfect? I don't know. I think that's worth a question. I think it's worth, you know, saying, like, did, did he, could he have just done whatever and it would have been, he would have remained perfect? Or was he actually trying to show us the way to live out this, this life of perfection of humanity and the divine, divinity combined and connected? So, yeah. I don't know. And and that's, I wonder, because he didn't, I mean, he still didn't get that rest that time. And one of the greatest miracles that we would put in, you know, levels is recorded right after, when he doesn't actually go get away when he meant to. Mm-hmm.